you have your Bible, would you open up to the book of Colossians, and we'll be in chapter 3. We've been going through a series called Forward. Uh, The idea of this series is that we need to continue to move forward with our relationship with God in all areas of our life. We are not meant to have a static relationship. Uh, we We were supposed to hear from him more, follow him closer, desire the things he desires for our life in a forward progression. We're not meant to stand still. And if you missed any of those, Uh, You can head to our website. You should do that. They're very powerful, very awesome uh, to help spur us on and and get closer to God. And if you've you've been here for the last few weeks, you've heard Kyle talk about this trip that me and him took out to Wyoming. And it it was a really awesome trip. And yes, we really did have to share a tiny little tent together. And I guess I did that to myself because I invited him. But (laughs) it was... It was still a blast. We had, we had a lot of fun. It was, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. It was fantastic. It was, um, it, the views were incredible. Uh, I'm just wanna, I just want to share one, one of my favorite stories from that trip. So our first night, we're, we're at a campsite. There's cows just wandering around because they just wild, kind of ranch their cows out there. And uh, it was really windy this night. And so we, we fall asleep. And I wake up startled because the tent is shaking. And my brain, I'm thinking, something's right there outside the tent. And I kind of like wide-eyed. I look at Kyle, he's still awake, and he's like, it's just the wind. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yes, it's just the wind. I'm like, oh, okay. So I go back to sleep. So later when I woke up the next, the next day, um, Kyle tells me something did visit our tent. And it was right by Kyle's head, Pastor Kyle's head, and he said it was sniffing around, and it was like, He's like, you know, sitting there kind of worried about what's happening. And then it got spooked and it tripped over the tent and like ran off. And he looked over at me and he was trying to wake me up during this. And you know, I was just sleeping. I had no idea what was going on. So, and then he didn't sleep at all that day. He didn't sleep. And I slept fine. I was like, oh, that was, it was fine. So, honestly, that, <laughs> that has nothing to do with my message. I just, I love that story that it caught up to him later and he slept really good the, the next day. So, but... All right, let's, let's all stand as we read from the word today from Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. So this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to this new church in Colossae where uh, he's telling them about how this new relationship with Jesus works, because these are new Christians, they're um, converting to Christianity, and he's also telling them how to live, because we're supposed to live differently as Christians. So uh, the first half of the book kind of deals with, you know, the victory and the, the freedom we have in Jesus and the second half deals with how we should live in this new humanity is the words that um, that book uses. So anyway, uh, verse 12, let's start there. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Let's pray. God, we just we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's powerful. God, I just pray that you'd speak through me, that you'd speak to each individual here today, that it wouldn't just be my words or my thoughts or just what I prepared, God, but you would really speak to someone today, that they would experience you in a powerful way, be more than just this knowledge and head knowledge, God, but it would sink in deep to our hearts, God. You may pray. Amen. All right, you can give someone a high five as you find your seat. All right. All right how, how many of you have noticed 
that we live in a world that's easily offended. I, I could hear the groan <laughs> actually from up here. And uh, I think we feel this tension, right? Like, I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't post this on social media. Some of you say it, and some of you post it anyway, don't you? <laughs> and we feel the tension, but we're like, I'm going to do it anyway. And, but it seems in today's world, people are just easily offended. I mean, uh, I can just mention COVID, and there's still this like, oh, tension of they did this, and this organization did that wrong, and we just, we can have arguments and all day. Uh, what about politics, Republicans, Democrats? That's, just, that's all I'm going to say about that. So... <laughs> And these are like the big ones. Like we say these things, we're, we're just up in arms. We get, we get it kind of tense and we get a little offended depending on which, which side people tend to be on. Um, but there's more. There's, there's gay marriage. There's the abortion debate. Should I homeschool my kids? Should I put them in public school? Certain views on our Christian theology. Should, it, you know, should we do this or should we, should we believe this or whatever? The timing of Christmas decor in stores. <laughs> Some people, that's a protest maybe we could get behind, right? <laughs> uh, bad drivers. Like, why does it take me 20 minutes to drive across town? Like, I live over there. Anyway, <laughs> Vikings versus Packers fans. Go sports. And apparently I'm supposed to wear pants when I mow my lawn. So, <laughs> don't worry, I do. That was a joke. <laughs> All right. So being offended, I was looking over there to see if my neighbors are over there, but <laughs> uh, being offended is a problem in our culture, but it becomes an even bigger problem when we see Christians easily getting offended and angry at people and even at each other. Not just these so-called big issues, but the smaller stuff too, like someone doesn't return our phone call or text us back or they just don't do it quick enough. Someone sits or parks in our spot your mother-in-law makes a comment about your parenting to you, stuff like this. The list continues, but here, here's the focus for today. We cannot move forward in our relationship with God if we're constantly being offended. So today, I'm hoping to offend all of you so you have an opportunity to apply what you've learned. We also see two sides of this topic as well. So there's definitely being offended, and there's being wounded where there's trauma involved and like you were very wronged and all this stuff. The, the issue is in our minds, they are blended very well together. And it's very hard to distinguish, was I offended or am I deeply wounded? And some of them are very obvious. Um, but I, I wanted to say that because I had a tough time distinguishing the two as I was writing this. I had a hard time applying all my points to everyone. But I think there's something in here, even if we're on the end of I was severely wounded, but let's just be open to that spectrum, okay, with me? All right, so let me break this down for you and why it holds us back from growing deeper with God. And the first thing is this. Offense is rooted in pride. Pride says, I am right. They are wrong. And although that might be true some of the time, God did not call us to be right. He called us to be loving. Let me show you this in our verse that we read, uh, Colossians 3, 12. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. John 13, 35 also says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, by how right you, no, by if you love one another, right? 
not by how right we are. How many arguments have you won with your spouse or a friend going into it saying, I'm going to show them how wrong they really are? <laughs> How's that going for you? <laughs> I've won a few arguments that way with, with my wife, but it really hurt the relationship. We feel we, left, we leave feeling further apart. It doesn't do anything well. I was right, but what cost? I've never been effective in loving people or my spouse when I was focused on being right. That's hard. But the times I said to myself, I probably have some fault in this, I showed mercy. I was kind, I was humble, I was gentle, and I was patient. We were drawn closer together. Uh, one pastor I listened to for many years, he was talking on relationships, and I wish I could find this podcast again, but, um, and he was he's saying, in my marriage, I have this rule that I say, I always take 51% of the blame. No matter how right I think I am, no matter where I think I am in the spectrum, because it takes two people in a relationship. It takes two people in a conflict. So when we live in an I am right, they are wrong mentality, we no longer love the way that God wants us to. And I think this is why this is the issue. It's not that maybe, maybe we are right. Like, don't mishear me. I'm not saying we're not allowed to be right in our theology or saying that you know, somebody's acting in sin or whatever, but we no longer love the way that God wants us to when we focus on being right. So one of my favorite Bible stories is found in John chapter 8. Here's a, some of the religious people brought a woman to Jesus. They caught her in the act of adultery. And they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. The law says that we should stone her for her sin. What do you say? And they were just trying to trap him and um, get him to say something that he shouldn't have. And Jesus replies, you're right. They were right. But whoever is without this sin, you may throw the first stone. The Bible says one by one they left. Jesus turns to the woman and says, where are your accusers? She replies, they are not here. Jesus says, I do not condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Jesus was the most right person that walked this earth. He was the most right in this situation. But he showed mercy. But he also didn't ignore the sin. I think that's, a, that's important to see. He said, go, sin no more. So it wasn't that he was right and just loved her and accepted everything. No, he, he still addressed what needed to be addressed. But he showed mercy, and her life was changed. So we can focus on being angry with people and how wrong they are and how right we are, or we can make a difference. Jesus made a difference in that woman's life by showing her love. We see so clearly here a right response is more important than being right. But we also see from this story the accusers weren't as right as they thought they were. Similarly, being offended just doesn't make us right. Like, that's not the trigger of, I am right, they are wrong. It's, you know, we do have to make an, a check in our hearts. So, offense, it's rooted in pride. And it brings us to the next thing. It's fueled by unforgiveness. Offense is rooted in pride and fueled by unforgiveness. After we say, I'm right, and he's wrong, we tend to hold on to offense by, by not forgiving. We kind of, 
We like to hang on to it. And why is this important? Why, why does this point hold us back? Like, well, it's just, I'm just kind of, oh, this person, I don't like this person or whatever. Why, why does this hold us back? And that's because at the foundation of the kingdom of God is forgiveness. That's what God and Jesus founded his kingdom on, was forgiveness and love. So if we look back at our verse in Colossians 13, it says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The Bible actually teaches on forgiveness over 40 times in just the New Testament. And here are some other examples. Ephesians 4, 32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Matthew 6, 14 through 15, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And the greatest example of forgiveness, Jesus said on the cross in Luke 23, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness is not only central with our relationship with others, but also with our relationship with God. So what if we treated this, this unforgiveness, this lingering of, of this as serious as other sins? And this was kind of hard as I, as I was reading this and researching it, but if we treat it as serious as lying or stealing or murder or sexual sin, like, I think we would start to live differently. And if we wouldn't live different, we would at least seek ways to forgive. We would, we would feel the pressure. We would feel the urge. We would feel the Holy Spirit pushing us in the direction to mend the broken relationships that maybe we have in our life. Or at least forgive them. Because, uh, let me clarify something, though. As I, as I said, it was, I did say mend, but forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not something we feel like doing. Sometimes we do. It's not pretending you weren't hurt. It's like, well, I guess it wasn't that bad. No, it's, it's still acknowledging it. It's not reconciliation. It's just, it's not building that relationship again. It's not trusting the person. It's not giving them trust again. It's not condoning their behavior. It's not saying they were right if we forgive them. And it's also not letting the other person off the hook or relieving them from responsibility. We can, we can forgive someone that did an illegal act against us, but they are still going to have the responsibility of the law against them, all right? Forgiveness is not these things. Forgiveness is letting go of the bitterness and the burden of the hurt that person caused you. Forgiveness is freedom. It's freedom on the inside. And unforgiveness brings division. And that is why it just doesn't work in the kingdom of God. God wants us to be unified with one another. We're supposed to be on the same team. We're supposed to be working together towards the same goal. Now, some of us are asking, as I was talking about this, I'm sure these thoughts are running through your head, and they definitely ran through my head as, as I was writing this, is, is just the question, how can I forgive? I have been hurt. You don't know what they did to me, and you're right, I don't. Some of us have walked through very terrible things, and that is awful. But we need to remember God's grace for us, too. I love this story. It's actually going to be a long story, but it's in... Chapter, it's in Matthew, chapter 18, starting in verse 23. Jesus tells us, um, or teaches us about forgiveness through a parable. A parable is just this kind of analogy that he would use to explain heavenly concepts. And so verse 23, 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he had taken place, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And you should not, ha- and you should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now you may have figured it out. We are not the master in this story, are we? <laughs> unfortunately. And I think we kind of get the point of the story. Like Jesus summarizes it at the end. We're the blue guy. We don't get to be the guy with the crown. So, but, but the power in this story is, it's powerful already and it kind of convicts us, but the power comes from the, the words that were used for the currency. The writers used the word talents for the debt of the first servant and denarii for the, for the debt of the second and the, or the first and the second servant. And this term was not a specific money amount. It was used as a generality, sort of, and so a denarii was a term for a day's wage. So the second servant owed the first servant 100 denarii. So in today's money, with $211.36 being the national American average per day, the second servant owed the first one $21,136. That was no small amount. I would be kind of upset too if somebody owed me that much money. I could do a lot with that. I could pay off my student loans. Like who, would, who wouldn't want like another 20 grand in their pocket? Like if you have any, come find me after service. I have Venmo. Can work something out? No. Shouldn't joke about money in church, right? <laughs> anyway, where does this leave us with the first servant? Okay, how much did he owe? First, the... the one talent varies on the scholarly ask because it was actually used as a weight measurement as well. It wasn't just an amount, but most scholars would agree that one talent equals 6,000 denarii. Some of you good at math are getting ahead of me. That's okay. But th- that would mean this is 200,000 days worth of wages. So in today's money, the first servant owed his master. Put that slide up for me there, Nathan, of the amount of money. What did he do with all of it? (laughs) Like, can you imagine borrowing from your boss $12 billion? I don't really understand. Um, But that's kind of the point of the story, though, isn't it? There is no way the servant was going to ever repay that money, was it? Although I love his optimism. Just give me some time and I'll pay it all back. (laughs) He's very optimistic. I appreciate that. You see, 21,000 
looks like a lot until you compare it to 12 billion. You actually can fit 21,000 into 12 billion 600,000 times. Like that's how, that's the drastic difference from it. In this story, Jesus shows us the debt we were forgiven of. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Our sins were many, but God forgave them all. You must forgive as the Lord forgave you. When we remember the grace that was given to us, it becomes so much easier to forgive those that offend us, wrong us, and even wound us. And listen, this isn't easy. This isn't like, I'm not trying to paint this picture of, you know what, you went, what you went through doesn't matter because of this. It does, you know, I'm not trying to make light of your past hurts or whatever was happened. I'm not trying to, trying to say, just let it go. That's, that's not where I'm coming from. So don't hear that. But when we know the debt that we've been forgiven and that God also commanded us to forgive, it urges us to live a life in forgiveness with one another. So what can we do with all, all of this? Pride, forgiveness. What can we practically do? What can we actually do in the moment to help us from being offended? So write these down if you're taking notes. We need to understand that people make mistakes. This may not surprise you, but people aren't perfect. <laughs> I'm not perfect. Pastor Corey isn't perfect. Well, his beard's pretty perfect. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> he's really close <laughs> okay nothing has been better to my marriage than this advice though and it's actually advice that we continue to give to young couples you are not marrying a perfect person you need to allow grace for them just as we read in our verse Colossians chapter 3 make allowance for each other's faults People are going to fail you. Your wife, your husband, your brother, your sister, your best friends, and your kids are all going to fail you. When we realize this, when we realize that people are going to fail us and we're, we're kind of thinking ahead a little bit, then we stop setting ourselves up to be offended. Because it's our expectations that set us up for offense. That's why it's the closest people that hurt us the most. Because we expect them to treat us better. And they should. They really should. They're our family. They're our husbands, our wives, our, our kids. But at the end of the day, we're still broken people living in a broken world. Now, I'm not excusing everything wrong that people do. I'm not saying just let somebody walk all over you. Don't, don't hear that from that point. But people do make mistakes. Another pastor I was listening to this week to prepare, put it this way. He was describing this relationship he had with his friend. And honestly, I wasn't listening that close, so I forgot what relationship it was. But he was, he was talking about one of his friends, and he said, when I first met him, I found no fault in him, and I loved him. And he said, that's immature love. Then I saw his faults and wanted nothing to do with him, and I didn't love him. Then he said, that's also immature. But then he said, then I saw him with all of his faults, and loved him anyway. And he said, that's God's love. We need to make allowance for each other's faults. People make mistakes. That's number one. The second thing we need to remember is people don't make as many mistakes as we think they do. This is also known as giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. 
By definition, this means you treat them as if they are telling the truth or as if they, were, if they have behaved properly, even though you're not quite sure this is the case. 1 Corinthians 13.7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's kind of saying, boy, that person didn't talk very politely to me, but boy, I hope they didn't mean that. I believe they didn't mean that. Contrary to the popular belief, this is not a marriage verse either. It's, it's beautiful in weddings, right? Because we talk about love and marriage and everything. But Paul actually wrote this for, for us, the church, his, God's people. We are supposed to be hopeful and enduring through every circumstance with one another. Easier said than done, right? We need to realize that people only act in a way that makes sense to them. They aren't going to communicate the way you do, respond like you do. They are their own person with their own ideas, their own lenses on life, and their own life to manage. I didn't wake up this morning saying, I wonder how I can offend Justin Mezzer this morning. Well, sometimes I do. <laughs> no. But this, this way of living actually requires a perspective shift, not a behavioral shift. Let me show you what I kind of mean here. And this example I'm going to give is from the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And some of you may have actually heard this story before if you read this book. Um, but this, this story really changed the way I view people and how I give them the benefit of the doubt. It reads like this. I was riding on a subway one Sunday morning in New York. People were sitting quietly reading papers or resting with eyes closed. It was a peaceful scene. Then a man and his children entered the subway car. The man sat next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to his children who were yelling, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. I couldn't believe he could be so insensitive. Eventually, with what I felt was unusual patience, I turned and said, Sir, your children are disturbing people. I wonder if you could, couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if he saw the situation for the first time. Oh, you're right, he said softly. I guess I should do something about it. He just came, we just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Suddenly, the author writes, I saw things differently. I, I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I think we could replace that last line with, my offense vanished. Now, this isn't the story of everyone we meet or everyone that offends us. I get that. But there are many times people are unaware that they have offended us in the first place. I probably offended you at some point, but I had no idea. It was probably my no-pants joke when I was mowing the lawn. I don't know. <laughs> but when we give the benefit of the doubt, we have the opportunity to rewrite the story that we're telling ourselves. Let me actually show you how our reactions are actually illustrated. If you could throw that up for me, Nathan, here. So we see and hear something. It's just what we see, what we hear. It's the facts, right? And then we tell ourselves a story, and then we feel from that story, and then we act on those feelings. Let me give you an example of this. So first example, Corey didn't say hi to me at the office today. So I... Tell, us, tell myself a story. He is such a jerk. <laughs> so then I feel something from this story, which I feel betrayed and I feel hurt. 
and then I act on that, I'm not going to talk to him today. And then Corey was happy because he got lots of things done. <laughs> no. But like I said, we can rewrite this story. So let me show you this example again. Uh, so the first thing is we see, in, we see and hear, Corey didn't say hi to me today at the office. Nothing changed. It's the same circumstance. But then I, I write, rewrite the story. He probably has a lot to do today. And then I feel something different. I feel compassion. And then I act. My day isn't so busy. I wonder if he needs help with anything. I should go ask him. And this sounds oversimplistic, doesn't it? It sounds so simple. Like, oh, I can just rewrite my story. But this happens in a split second, and all of a sudden we go from seeing and hearing to acting without even acknowledging the second two in the middle. If you're married, you know what that's like. <laughs> but that's why we need to decide today. We need to decide beforehand that my relationships with others, with other Christians, with my family, everything, my priority of forgiving is more important than my feelings. Because how many of you know that our feelings are always real, they're always present, but they're not always true? My favorite line that a pastor used in a sermon one time, he's talking about being offended, and he said, get in the habit of saying to yourself, they didn't mean it. For example, the trash needs to be taken out. Are they mad at me? Ah, oh, they didn't need it. They didn't mean it. That person never texted me back. They didn't mean it. They probably got busy with their kids or talking to someone. Or at work. They said my report needed work and cleaning up and seemed disappointed with me. But they didn't mean it. They, were, they weren't mad at me. They wanted to see me to get better. And my report wasn't as high level as I guess I thought it was. So after applying these two concepts, some offenses just kind of run off, right? You're like, I guess... That wasn't really that big of a deal. I can let that go. But some hang on and some kind of uh, grip us and it's hard to shake them. It's hard to just let go. It's like, man, that really bothers me. And that's okay. I'm not here to say you can't feel that. That's, that's okay. That's normal. We're human. Um, but we do need to do something about it. We can't let it sit there and linger. Uh, and that leads us to the last point of we need to learn how to have difficult conversations. If you're like me, I don't like difficult conversations. <laughs> They're difficult. Let me quickly show you what it isn't. It's not coming up to someone and saying, hey, you offended me, and I'm very upset at you. What do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> like, let's, let's be better than that, right? First, this is what we need to do. We need to approach the conversation with forgiveness, just like we talked about. Being offended is fueled by this unforgiveness. If the person admits that they're wrong, or that they, that they hurt you, or and apologizes, are you ready or at least willing to accept their apology and forgive them? I think that's really important as we go into these conversations. Second, you need to let go of your pride. Be ready to accept that the offense you are feeling is quite possibly more your fault than you actually think it is. Is your goal to be right or is your goal to reconcile and repair the relationship with this conversation? Because you will act different depending on your goal. Proverbs 17.9 uh, says in the message version, I just like the way the message put it. It says, overlook an offense and bond a friendship. Fasten on to a slight and goodbye friend. I approach my wife differently when I prioritize our marriage and our relationship 
above all other things. I may be right, but my relationship is more important. So remember what we talked about earlier, a right response is more important than being right. We were called to be loving. So music team, if, if you could come at this time. And I don't mean to make this sound easy or make light of, of your hurts or the things that you've gone through because this is, this is hard stuff. It takes a lot of effort on our part, actually. And we can't do it alone. I think that's actually why God said, look, forgive as I have forgiven. Because without experiencing God's forgiveness, we are unable to forgive. We need to ask for help. Ask for God to forgive us. Ask him to heal us and give us the strength to forgive others as he's forgiven us. So I wanted to take some time this morning for us to sing, for us to reflect, for us to pray and ask for help. Because if you notice, the Bible t- talks a lot about letting go of our offenses. And I think the reason it does that is because being, getting offended, having someone hurt us is inevitable. It's going to happen. Someone's going to say something wrong. We're going to be in a bad mood and we're going to wrong someone ourselves. But living offended, living with this burden of someone that offended us, that's a choice. Being offended is inevitable. Living offended is a choice. So let's, let's pray for help. Let's ask God. Let's ask ourselves, what offenses do I need to let go of? Which ones do I need to have hard conversations with? And how can I avoid being offended in the future? Would you stand with me over this place? Let's just pray, God, this isn't easy. We don't mean to make it sound easy either, God, because people have hurt us, people have wronged us. But God, there are times and moments in our lives that we need to, that we need to forgive, that we need to have that hard conversation. So God, in this moment, would you fill this room, would you fill this place with your presence? Would you give us peace? God, that person that's feeling that offense even right now in this moment, would you help them to forgive in their hearts, God? Would your supernatural peace and patience and mercy and kindness come upon them, God? Because God, we were called to be loving, to love other people. As we close today, I just, I really felt like this, this was an opportunity for us, for God to move in our lives. I was kind of struggling with how to close this sermon, but I, I really feel like this is a moment that we need to respond to God because I think something supernatural needs to happen. It's, this isn't a me try harder thing. This is a God change my heart thing. That's, that's what we believe. We believe the Holy Spirit changes us. We don't believe that we try harder and things happen. So in this place, 
if, if you're one of those people, and not to single you out, but if you would just raise your hand and say, I'm, I'm struggling with an offense. I'm struggling with something that's happened. Or if you're one of those people that says, I, I just easily get offended. There are things that I just, I take it personally and I struggle with that. That's okay to, to admit that too. So God, we pray over these people. God, maybe even those that didn't raise their hand, that you would do something supernatural in this place, that it wouldn't just be a try harder thing to let go, God, but it would be supernatural forgiveness and love that flows through each person here. Because God, that, that is the life that we want. We wanna follow you closer. We wanna move forward with you so that people can know you more, God. So Jesus, move in these people today. Move in our hearts, God. The other side of this is, there might be someone here today that, that maybe you don't know what it's like to be forgiven. Maybe it's hard for you to forgive because you carry the weight of everything in your past as well. The devil likes to remind us that people have a debt against us, doesn't he? But he wants you to forget the salvation that Jesus offers and that Jesus cancels your debt. So if you want your debt forgiven today, if you want to experience the freedom that's in Christ, the freedom that God gives you, would you just raise your hand this morning and say, I want to accept God for the, maybe the first time. I want to accept Jesus into my heart because I've never done that before. Just a moment longer for anyone that may feel that tug, that, that God is speaking to you that says, follow me, walk in freedom, walk in a different life. Let's just pray together. God, would you move in my heart? Would you come into me and forgive me? I'm sorry that I sinned. Save my life, God. Let me pray.